whatever else we cover in the Jesus Gallery, I hope that the one thing that we take away from it is that the biggest thing that ever happened to this world is that God came to visit us. God came to live among us for 33 years, God in skin. For before that time, there were prophets and preachers and priests who wrote and talked about God so that God could be known through their writings. But when Jesus came into our world, for the first time, we could actually see God. We could hear God. We could touch God. And when Jesus came into our world, he did so many things. He bought our redemption. You sang about that just a few moments ago. But when he came into our world, I think something very special that we need to focus on in this series is he told us what God is really like. You know, there have been so many misconceptions of God. As a pastor for 42 years, I've had the privilege of talking to a lot of skeptics who have said to me why they rejected God. And oftentimes when they told me the characteristics of God they rejected, I would say to myself, that's not God. Their ideas of God had come from what they'd heard about him, what they'd picked up in various religions, picked up culturally. And when I heard about them rejecting God, I thought to myself, if that's what God was like, I would have rejected him too. But so many people know something about a deity, and so few know who God really is and what he's like. And so when Jesus came into our world, what he did was he, he said, this is who God is. This is what God is like. And first, first and foremost, Jesus is God. And God is Trinity, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there's no human way of explaining that because God is not made in our image. We are made in God's image. And so oftentimes we try to, we try to transpose onto God our concepts of existence when we are not, God's not made in our image. But we do know that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus came into our world as Son. Some people have the idea that the Trinity is, is really just one person and three manifestations, that in the Old Testament, he was Father. In the New Testament, he was Son. And now in our era, he's the Holy Spirit. But that can't be true because there are at least two occasions in the Bible where we see all three members of the Godhead active. When Jesus is baptized, Jesus, of course, is being baptized. The Father speaks from heaven and the Holy Spirit descends as a dove. So God, Jesus came into our world to tell us who God is and what God is like. And one of the challenges that we see in the Gospels is so oftentimes people were, were challenged to really understand what Jesus was saying about God because God seemed so different from what they had thought. I think of stories that he told. Jesus told stories about God that help us understand what he's like. Perhaps the quintessential story, in fact, I remember years ago reading one of the great literary specialists of all time say the greatest short story in the world is the story of the prodigal son, a story that Jesus told in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. He said there was a well-to-do father who had two kids, two sons, and the younger was kind of bad to the bone, and he said to his dad, I don't want to wait till you die for my inheritance. I want you to give me my inheritance now. And so the father did, and the kid blew through the wad. He went to a far country where nobody could know him, and he could be anything he wanted to be. And he went through all of his money sleeping with prostitutes and shooting up and abusing substances and living a, a wasteful life. And ultimately, he went through all of his money, and he was in such bad shape that the only job he could get was slopping hogs. And while he was down there in the hog pen, he thought to himself, I had it so much better with my father. And he said, you know, the, my, the guys who work for my dad, at least they have plenty to eat. So I'm going to go back home and I'm going to say, Dad, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Just hire me. I'm hungry. Would you hire me? Don't, you don't have to treat me like a son anymore. And in the story that Jesus told, the father was watching and the boy was from a long distance 
He came into the father's view. And when the father saw his son, he ran and threw his arms around him. And the boy tried to make his speech. You know, Dad, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. But in Jesus' story, the father said, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put shoes on his feet. And bring out the family crest signet ring. And throw a party because my son was dead and now he's alive again. Jesus told that story to help us know what God is like. See, a lot of people don't have that idea of God. When they think about God, they see the cosmic killjoy in the sky who's just waiting to hit people with a hammer. And yet when Jesus came to talk about the Father, he, he did talk about a God of justice. But he talked about a God whose heart was immeasurable. So when Jesus came into our world for three years, he did teach us what God was like. And there, well, there are so many things that Jesus taught, but I think more than anything else, he, he got across this message that sin is destructive, sin is damaging, but God loves sinners, and he's made a way for sinners to be innocent again. Wow, we just sang that Jesus breaks every chain, but think about that. Let, that. let that settle in on you. I mean, it's one thing for a criminal to be acquitted, but how does a criminal become innocent? Only Jesus can do that. And he came into our world to say both messages, sin is destructive, sin, sin brings death. And it's important that we understand that today because you and I live in a culture that has the idea that sin is good. You remember, those of you who are a little older, remember the Wall Street movie and Gordon Gecko who said greed is good? Well, we live in an age today that where people say sin is good. Jesus never questioned that sin was destructive. In fact, Jesus talked more about hell than anybody else. You know, when you read about hell in the Bible, it's not some wild-eyed prophet giving us most of the information. It is the Son of God. In fact, Jesus has more to say about hell than anybody else. We know that hell has fire. We know that hell never ends. We, we know that people in hell suffer. So Jesus talked about hell and made it very clear that sin leads to that. But then he said at that moment nobody should go there. That nobody had to go there. For God so loved the whole world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not go to hell but have everlasting life. And so he brought those messages to us. Sin is destructive, but God loves sinners. And he wants to make a way for sinners not to just be acquitted, but to be innocent. And that was the message that Jesus brought in the gospel. You know, when you see this balance you see it oftentimes in verses like this. In, in the Gospel of John chapter 8, there was a woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery. And Jesus' enemies, and we're going to meet them in a little while later, they oftentimes were the religious elite. They wanted to trap Jesus and embarrass him, and so they brought this woman still naked and unclothed and threw her at Jesus' feet. I don't know why they didn't bring the man. huh? Some things never change. But they threw the woman at Jesus' feet, and they said, Moses in the law says to stone her, what do you say? And we will never know when we, until we get to heaven, but Jesus didn't answer them. You know what? Some, not every question deserves an answer, right? You know, you, you can get someone can text you something mean, and, 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 you, and you, don't have to, you don't have to respond to everything. So the Bible just says that Jesus stooped down and started writing with his finger in the sand. We don't know what he wrote. I've heard all kinds of things. Some people think he wrote the Ten Commandments. Others think he wrote the names of men in that crowd who had committed the same sin. But whatever he wrote, it so, it so shook them that they all left. And there was no one there but Jesus still writing on the ground. And the woman, <clears throat> and Jesus said, where are your accusers? And she said, they're all gone. 
And now Jesus gives us the message that has the very balance that you and I have been talking about. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. And what I see today, I see two groups who totally misunderstand God. On one hand, I see the ultra-standardists who believe there are good people and bad people and we are the good people and we are the ones who do everything right and the bad people are people that don't live my life like I live my life. And they are the people who are condemning and they don't understand grace and forgiveness. But by the same token, there are far more people in our postmodern culture today who say, oh, it's all about not condemning anybody and it's not about it's making sure that we don't say any behavior is wrong because we don't run the risk of shaming them well i want you to understand that both ideas are cosmically and infinitely flawed because the message of jesus is neither do i condemn you go and leave your life of sin and when he came into our world he brought that message to us well as we're still kind of introducing our story today, we should understand that that message was met by three responses in Jesus' time, for sure. The first response were those who didn't feel like they did anything wrong, and they were going to keep doing what they were doing. If they were sleeping around, they are going to keep sleeping around. If they were greed, full of greed and, and cheated people, they were going to keep doing it. They, they had no, they had no, it, it, was, it was kind of like sin is good. Well, obviously, they rejected Jesus' message, and the Bible doesn't spend a whole lot of time on them because the outcome of that is obvious. There was another group of people that heard Jesus' message, and, and in time they would become and continue to be Jesus' chief nemesis. These were the people who had some sort of hypocritical system for working it out so that whatever they did was not sin. What other people did was sin, but what they did was not sin. For all of you who are old enough to remember Watergate, Richard Nixon actually said, when the president does it, it's not a crime. <laughs> And we look at that and we're horrified by that statement. But we live in a world today where there are these ultra-religious people who say what other people do is wrong, but what I do is not sin. They have some sort of religious gymnastic by which they can somehow be innocent, although everyone knows that they're sinful. We have a word for this, don't we? We call that a hypocrite. So when Jesus came preaching his message of God-loving sinners and sinners being forgiven, they pushed back against that because, first of all, they didn't need it publicly, and secondly, they didn't like the people who weren't living the way they lived. But now we're really getting close to our story. There was a third group of people who loved Jesus, and they loved listening to Jesus, and it was a surprise because <laughs> they weren't like Jesus. That's really interesting. When you read the Bible, you discover that Jesus liked a lot of people who weren't like Jesus. These were people who were the outcasts. These were people who were sinners. Oftentimes in the gospel, you read about people who were sinners. It just meant everybody knew they were leading lives of sin. Oftentimes you will see the expression publicans and sinners. Publicans were tax collectors who were notorious cheats, and the tax collectors were considered so bad they didn't even rise to the level of being a sinner. But it was these people who loved to hear Jesus talk. You see, the thing about the people in this third category, they didn't need Jesus to tell them that sin was bad. They knew it firsthand. <laughs> they didn't need Jesus to tell them that Misusing your body was a bad idea because they suffered the pain of misusing their body. They didn't need Jesus to tell them that abusing substances was bad because they lived in bondage. There's an interesting thing about people who are honest about sin. People who have an integrity about sin, they're very close to coming into God's kingdom, but there can be a fear that perhaps it's too late for them. Maybe my sin is so bad, maybe God cannot forgive. 
So with that in mind, I want you to hear the story that we're about to unpack today. By the way, this story is in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, if you want to read along with me. And Dr. Luke is the only one who tells the story. It's about a woman who poured ointment on Jesus. Now, what's interesting, and I won't spend a whole lot of time here, is there are actually two stories of women who poured ointment on Jesus. One occurs the week of Jesus' crucifixion, and that is Mary, the sister of Martha. And she pours the ointment, she breaks the alabaster box and pours the ointment on Jesus' head. That is in Bethany. This story happened at least a year before in Galilee. And this woman pours the ointment on Jesus' feet. Just wanting for all of you who are Bible scholars to know the distinction between these two stories. Well, it all starts, <laughs> it all starts with a guy named Simon who invites Jesus to dinner. And you and I need to understand that this particular Simon is called Simon the Pharisee. He belongs to a religious elite organization. And they believe that they are better than anyone else. They are the group two that I just talked about. They don't think they're sinners because they've worked it out so that what they do is not wrong. And these elite religious people are upset about Jesus. He is upsetting everything. He is drawing crowds. And the people who used to look up to the Pharisees are now looking up to Jesus. And so Simon invites Jesus to come to his house for dinner. Now, we should understand and make sure that we don't misunderstand that this is not the act of a friend. He is inviting Jesus to dinner to give Jesus the cold shoulder, to embarrass him. And he wants to put Jesus in his place. In fact, what he wants to do is to denigrate Jesus, and this is the very opposite of worship. When you and I worship, we are lifting Jesus up. But Simon's idea is to pull Jesus into his house to kind of show the boy how things work. After all, what right does he have to draw a crowd? What right does he have to tell people about God? They are the ones who own the God message. And so consequently, he will invite Jesus into his house as if to invite him to a dinner of honor. And then they will show him where he really fits on the spectrum. If you can get into your mind the picture of this house, Jesus now has come into this house to have dinner. But outside the gate or outside the fence, people used to gather to watch the beautiful people. It was kind of like a prehistoric people magazine. They weren't invited to the dinner. They didn't have a place at the table. They would never have a place at Simon's table because the way Simon looked at it, they hadn't earned the place. They were just sort of the also-rans of life. And so outside, the people are looking in well, among that crowd at the fence looking in at the dinner that's taking place is one person who will be our focus for the rest of this message. It's a woman. And everybody in the town knows about this woman because she has a bad reputation. You know what we're going to see so clearly in today's message is that oftentimes we see people who have made a lot of bad choices and we see them in a snapshot but I don't think people start out to ruin their lives. The people that you know who are living really painful lives, I don't think they woke up one morning and decided, hey, I want to go out and blow up my life. And so as I look at this woman standing outside the fence, I don't know what happened in her life. Maybe she started as a little girl hoping that she was going to get married and have a beautiful home and kids and grandkids, but started dating the wrong guy and things went sideways and dated another guy and then it went sideways and it kept on until finally she was that kind of girl. And no good man wanted to be with her and got to make a living. And so she did the one thing she thought was available to her. She started selling her body. And she was successful at it. 
But now as Simon has Jesus in here for this dinner party, she is among the crowd that stands at the fence and looks in to see this dinner party. It's hard to know what's going on inside someone, isn't it? You know, when people get a reputation, when they get a, <laughs> when they get a tag, it's hard for the rest of us to know exactly what's going on on the inside. And, and that would have been so the case that night as this woman is outside Simon's house. As Simon, if he got a glance at her, I don't even know if he looked at her, but if he had looked at her, he was just, she's a prostitute. But something had happened in her that had given her a change of status. We have four books in the Bible about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they all tell us bits and pieces about Jesus' life. Sometimes it's kind of hard to synthesize those four Gospels chronologically, but one of the greatest scholars of all time, A.T. Robertson, wrote a book called The Harmony of the Gospels, and what he did is he took the bits and pieces of those four Gospels and gave us a chronology. And one of the blessed things about that chronology is it tells us the message that this woman had just heard. As she stands at the fence looking at the beautiful people in Jesus' dinner party, we learn from Dr. Robertson that she had just heard Jesus preach a sermon. And we know what that sermon was. You want to hear a piece of it? Jesus said, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out? Come to me. Come to me. (laughs) All this woman heard was go away or stay away. Because of her reputation, all the respectable people would say, stay away and go away. How many hundreds of times had she heard that after men had used her? That's what she'd heard all her life, go away, stay away. And all of a sudden, she goes to hear this man preach, and here is this preacher. I wouldn't be surprised if Jesus looked straight at her when he preached this message, and he said, are you tired? Are you burned out? Are you worn out? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced, unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. Well, that was the message that she had just heard, and she listened to Jesus' message, and she bought in. Well, as she stands there at the gate looking in at the dinner party, she understands that she has no place at the table. She never will. But her life has changed. So she will do what is available to her. She will watch the beautiful people do for Jesus what she would like to do. They are worthy people. She looks in there and sees Simon and his Pharisee bunch, and boy, they have on all the trappings and the gear of being religious, and she's like, well, I have no place at this table and never will, but they will do for Jesus what I want to do, and so I will live vicariously through them. And she knows what's going to go down. When a guest was a guest of honor in those days, there would be a sequence of things that would happen. First of all, when the guest walked in, there would be someone in the family or a servant who would take a basin of water and wash the feet. They would slip off his sandals and wash his feet, maybe even perfume them. And then after the feet had been washed, the host would come and give the kiss of friendship most of the time on both cheeks to signify this person is very special. And then the guest, Jesus, would be escorted to the very head of the table to be given a place of prominence. And then the thing that she looked forward to more than anything else, there would be the moment when there would be perfume placed on the head. She knew one thing. She knew cosmetics. And she was standing there at the gate wondering, what fragrance are they going to use for Jesus? 
Historians tell us that what they would often do for a guest of honor, they would take a small sachet or a cake of fragrance and place it on the head, and the body heat would melt the, aroma, melt the fragrance, and they were, it would aromatize the room. And she was waiting for this to happen. But to her horror, nobody does anything for Jesus. They bring him in, but they turn their backs on him. Nobody washes his feet. No one gives him a kiss of friendship. They give him a seat at the end of the table by the door. And nobody puts any fragrance on him. Well, I think there are more important parts of this sermon, but this is my favorite part. As this woman stands in there and looks at that, she says, this has got to change. This picture's got to change. I mean, something's got, somebody's got to do something. And since none of the worthy people want to, why not me? Have you ever felt that? You may never have. I, I, I don't know. My heart goes out to if you haven't. But have you ever looked at Jesus and looked at you and looked at the change he meant, made in your life and you said, you know, I'm not worthy. But if nobody else is going to do something, why not me? I think the reason why this is so personal for me is based on who I am. I have no right to stand before you today. But somebody should glorify Jesus. Why not me? There are thousands of kids at New Spring this weekend learning the most important messages in the most powerful, life-changing way. And there are people there ministering to them who don't have perfect lives. Many of them have things in their lives that they wish had never happened, but they saw the need and they saw what Jesus did for them and they're back there ministering right now while we're in here because they said, why not me? Have you felt, I, I, you may never have felt that. Uh, there are a lot of people in our world today who call themselves Christians and they live completely self-absorbed lives and I can do nothing for you. But if there's anybody out there who feels just a little bit of what this woman felt, you look at the failures of your life as I do, and you turn around and look at the Son of God who says he came to break all the chains, and you're saying, why not me? Why not me? I, I know I'm not worthy. I'm not like the Simon and his other bunch over here, and I didn't make all the right decisions, and I it was kind of I raised some hell when I was young, and I wish I hadn't them. But, you know, I met Jesus, and why not me? <laughs> she does the culturally unthinkable. Since nobody poured any perfume on Jesus, she goes and gets an alabaster flask that contains fragrance, <laughs> one bottle of fragrance that would cost an average person's, it would be an annual, annual income of a person. And she walks into the room and just pours out the whole bottle on Jesus' feet. Can you freeze that in your mind for a moment? Why did she have the courage to do that? Why would a woman who had spent her life selling her body find the courage to walk right into the room filled with Pharisees and pour out fragrance on Jesus' feet? Okay, let me ask you a question. I want to talk to those of you who know you've studied the Bible. In the Christian's life, what is the most important commodity? 
Faith. We know that. Faith is it. It's interesting. The word it is inside of faith. Jesus came looking for faith. He was glad when he found it. He was unhappy when he didn't find it. Faith. Faith is the most important thing. That is how you go to heaven. You put faith in Jesus Christ. Whosoever believes. What is faith? Well, I think when we understand what faith is, we'll understand why this woman had the courage to do what she did. See, faith is looking at your situation and then looking at what God has promised you and then running a total. See, a lot of us as Christians, we, we look at our situation, who we are, what we've done, where we, where we are in life. And then we look at God's promises, but we sort of do that in an a la carte basis. We never run a balance. Faith is running the balance. Let me give you an example. Let's just, this is simplistic. But let's just say you, have 500, you owe $500. Tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, you have to pay $500. You don't have the money to pay. So where, what is your situation right now? You're down $500. Now suppose someone whose word is absolutely impeccable says to you, at 6 o'clock in the morning, I'll be by your house with $1,000 cash. Now if I ask you, what is your situation? You say, I'm up $500. Why? Because you know your situation and you know your promise and you've run a balance. But see what happens for so many of us who are Christians, we never run a balance. We, we, we never run a total. We, we see our situation and we look at that for a while and then we look at God's promises and we look at that for a while. But, but it's, like, it's like people who don't know where they are. I mean, if I talk to you, if you have a business and you say, well, I have certain liabilities and I have certain, I have certain equities, but you never look at what your assets are. You never really run a total. And, and I think that's what happened with this woman. Sure, she knew where she had been, but she had heard the promises of Jesus. And so consequently, she ran a total. This is where I was. I was a sinner. I was a prostitute. That's a serious deficit. It, it's an unpayable deficit. But Jesus has promised me forgiveness and cleansing. And she ran a total, and she said... I'm innocent. If you want to know how she could walk in boldly and do what she did, she just ran a total. And a a guilty woman felt something she hadn't felt in a long time. Innocence. All she had known before was soiled and being used and being discarded, and now she feels loved. And because she has that... And because she ran a total, she walked into the room and poured everything, poured that fragrance on Jesus. Okay, unfreeze. Now Simon and his bunch look at what's happened. This woman has poured this fragrance on Jesus, and they are in sheer horror. How could this happen in this house? How could this woman do this? Well, I guess we're not surprised that they had disdain for the woman, but I think what blows our mind is they had the most disdain for Jesus. Now, they didn't say this out loud, but look at this. This is in Luke seven thirty nine. When Jesus' host, a Pharisee, saw what was happening. Now, we're not going to use that right now, but would you just like pull that out and save it for a minute? Saw what was happening. Hold on to that. We'll use it in a moment. When Jesus' host, a Pharisee, saw what was happening and who the woman was, he said to himself, this proves that Jesus is no prophet. For if God had really sent him, he would know what kind of woman this is. You get my point? He's like, 
He had disdain for the woman, but that was baked in. Now he's got disdain for Jesus because he said he can't be a prophet because if he was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this. First off, I'm curious how Simon knew who she was. We'll say that. The problem that moment was not that Jesus didn't know that this woman was a sinner. The problem was Simon didn't know that Jesus was the Savior. I could be talking to somebody here today in postmodern America, and it's like, okay, Mark, I like this message. You give it to those religious elitists. You, you don't have to be a Pharisee to be a Simon. You can be a postmodern and be a Simon. You can be an agnostic and be a Simon. What made Simon Simon wasn't that he was religious. What made Simon Simon was that he didn't need a Savior. And all it takes to be a Simon, whether you come from a religious or irreligious background or theistic or an atheistic background, all it takes to be a Simon is just not need a Savior. I'm finished with this. Jesus said to Simon, remember I told you to hold on to that expression a minute ago. You see this woman kneeling here? My favorite translation says, Simon, do you see this woman? You remember a moment ago, Simon saw what was happening. But now Jesus is asking, do you see her? This is the problem with hypocrisy and elitism and Phariseeism. It's real good at seeing what's happening. It's just not very good at seeing people. And when I study the life of Jesus as I'm doing by the hour these days, the one thing I find out about Jesus is he always saw the people. I mean, it would be easy to see a situation, as you see in John 4, of a woman who is going out to get water in the heat of the day. Her situation is she doesn't want to be with the other women because she has a reputation in that town. Everybody else would have saw what was happening, but Jesus saw her. Everybody who walked by the crosses that day would have seen two thieves dying on either side of Jesus. They saw what was happening, but Jesus saw the thief. Isn't it true that a lot of people can see what's happening in your life, but not many people see you? Do you feel that sometimes? Isn't it good to know that Jesus sees you? He looks past what's happening and he sees you. See, Simon saw what was happening in his house. And Jesus said, Simon, do you see this woman? When I entered your home, you didn't bother to offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You refused me the customary kiss of greeting, but she has kissed my feet again and again from the first time I came in. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has covered my feet with rare perfume. Ooh, I love this. Therefore, her sins, and they are many, are forgiven. For she loved me much, but the one who is forgiven little shows little love. Well, it's very clear this woman didn't have a seat at Simon's table, and she will never have a seat at Simon's table because the way Simon looked at it, she didn't earn it. Just like you and I probably won't have a lot of seats at a lot of tables. 
But I don't know that it really matters all that much because there's a far bigger banquet than Simon's banquet. And God is making a banquet and he's inviting all who will to come to the banquet. And the people who are sitting at God's table, they're flawed and broken and they've been places they shouldn't be and done things they shouldn't have done with people they shouldn't have known. But Jesus came and he made a way for them to be innocent again. And after these 2,000 years nearly since this story took place, I have the sheer joy of standing before you today and telling all of you, whether you're here in North or South or watching online, there are plenty of seats at God's table. There may be people who don't want you, but it's okay. God wants you. And he says, come. Come, all of you who are burned out and tired and worn out. Come, those of you who were once here and ran away for a while. There are plenty of seats. There's always a place at God's table.
we started out talking today about how Jesus came in the world to tell us what God was like. And we closed today by singing a song that I think could have been written to the prodigal son. There's always a place at God's table. And, and I'm, I want to talk right now, especially to two groups of people. I want to talk, first of all, to those of you who at some point in your life, you invited Jesus Christ into your life. But whether it's a day or it's been years, sometime back, you started kind of running from God. And you've made some choices that, like the song just said, have torn at least part of your life apart. Maybe it was when you went to college or maybe when you met that one person that was just not the right person. It could have been just slow. It could have been just drifting away. And now you're in church today, but there's a part of you that's a little bit afraid to pray because you're wondering what would God feel like because of all the running I've done. And now the song that we just heard, I think my favorite lyric is, your place is set each time the family gathers. Come home. Come home. And then I think about some of you who are kind of like the lady in our story. You never knew how much God loved you. And today it's been very clear. And, and there are some this won't resonate with, but there's some of you here today this or watching, it'll really resonate with because it's, it's like the light came on inside of you. And you, you knew who God is like. And there's an offer on the table that Jesus died to pay for your sins. His blood was a currency that washed your sins away. And if you'd be willing to have faith, if you'd be willing to put your confidence in Jesus, then you could be forgiven and innocent, not acquitted, but innocent. And that sounds like the best deal you've ever heard, and it is. And today, you want to take God at his word. You want to run a total. You know your situation, but you also know the promise of God, and it looks like the promise of God is going to bring you out in an infinite, eternal equity situation, asset situation. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead you in a prayer that invites Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And these aren't magic words. What matters is what you mean in your heart. So I'll pray it slowly so you can decide whether or not you want to own it personally. You ready? Just bow your heads with me, please. If you're already a believer, just pray for those who are making this decision. Dear God, I know I am a sinner, but I believe you love me anyway. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe his blood was enough. I believe he arose from the grave. And since he is alive, I want Jesus as my savior. I want him as my king. Thank you for giving me a new start. In Jesus' name, amen. Real quickly, if you just prayed that prayer, don't, don't wait on this till next week. Go out to any info center. You'll see them all around the campus. They're clearly designated. And just say, I pray with Mark. Because I have a gift box I want to give you. And inside the gift box, it's just like there's a Bible, just like I preach from, like we send to the prisoners. 
and a book I wrote that will answer a lot of questions about what it means to be a daughter or son of God. Some other cool stuff. So just go right, as soon as service is over, just go straight to an info center. They'll, they'll be delighted to see you. And uh, we're going to look forward to seeing you next week as we continue the Jesus Gallery. Thank you. God bless you. See you next weekend.